talking to Malika Sarma today. Why in the world are you bringing space into this? Oh, good point. Hey, Kara. <laughs> hey, Chris. How you doing? Who is this Malika Sarma character you are talking about? As though oh, I don't know. She's such a wonderful human being. Former. Uh, well, she, I shouldn't say former, but she got her PhD at Notre Dame, and she's now over at Johns Hopkins, and she combines anthropology, human biology, and space in the most awesome, badass way you can imagine. I know. I hear she's going to be my, my co-host when you're on sabbatical next semester. Is she that right? is. She's filling in for me, and, you know, maybe maybe she'll just stay in that role when she's back. Well, as much as, I, as much as I do love Malika, I also love you. So that would be that would be difficult for me. <laughs> but we do not have Malika on the show today. Today we have, and I'm hopefully I'm pronouncing this right, uh, Ali uh, Gazelle Zamora on the podcast. And Ali is an undergraduate student at Dartmouth College uh, and the HBA 2022 Spielvogel Award winner for Outstanding Undergraduate Presentation. Uh, Ali works with friend of the pod, Dr. Zanita Thayer, and we'll be talking about their work today, uh, both that award-winning work that we uh, just mentioned, as well as her honors thesis. Shall I bring her on? Let's bring her on. I just joined TikTok, so I'm really stoked for this. How did you only just now join TikTok? Uh, because I avoided it for a long time and just did reels. Hey, how are Hi! you? How are you guys? We're doing well, as you can see here. We, we bullshit a lot about random things. Before we jump into that, can you tell yeah. us how to pronounce your name correctly? Of course. It's Ale, like short for Alejandra, and then Geisel Zamora. Geisel. I think I said yeah. gazelle. Mm-hmm. Geisel Geisel, like, um, like Dr. Seuss Geisel. Not related ah. as far as I know, but same name. Well, welcome to the Sausage of Science, Ale. Uh, it's so wonderful to meet you, and thank you so much for taking the time. You might be our first undergraduate. Exciting. Like, uh, thank you for having me. I think that we had Carly Cheney on talking about an undergrad project. So technically, she was, but she, was she had just gotten into the grad program and yeah. was shifting gears. So welcome to the podcast, Ale. This is a special moment for all of us. A trailblazer. Thank you. I'm so excited. <laughs> So we start the show off the same way. And so you're really interesting uh, because, you know, often we talk to people who have already decided anthropology is going to be their career and they are already in that career. You're mm-hmm. at this much earlier stage. So tell us a little bit how you got interested in anthropology enough to do research and work with Dr. Thayer, who who we've had on the pod and we all know and love. So tell us your anthropology origin story. Yeah, absolutely. I talked about this a lot recently, actually. I think it's very funny when I was about like middle school age, I was obsessively watching the TV show Bones. And so Anthro was always like in the back of my mind. And then I got to college and it was freshman fall. I had to pick my classes and I was like, well, Anthro seems interesting. Like, I really like that TV show. I might as well go to the open house, see what happens. And I remember seeing a literal mob of students around Zane and be like, okay, well, I'm going to go like walk up and see what they're talking about. And she was so passionate about all the research that she was talking about. And I was like, yeah, like I might as well take a class, see what happens. Instantly fell in love with the discipline. And I'm like one of those annoying people who from like freshman fall is like, oh, I know what I'm majoring in. And I've like stuck with it the whole time. That's not annoying. We love people who know what they want to do because then <laughs> uh, we can we can feed project ideas to them and see them get super, super excited. We're like, yes, got it. <laughs> Your presentation that you did at HBA, Social Support Promotes Postpartum Mental Health Among U.S.-Based Participants During COVID-19 Pandemic, won the Spielvogel Award. Congratulations. Thank you. It was so exciting. I wasn't expecting it. So tell us uh, about the study. What was the goal and how did it differ from other studies looking at the impact of COVID-19 on parenting? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I was looking at a subset of the COVID-19 reproductive effects data set, and I specifically wanted to look at how emotional support and social support from partners, family, friends may promote postpartum mental health. And I think a lot of the studies really kind of focus on what causes postpartum depression instead. So I was hoping from this positive scope that we'd be able to find like novel and common sources of support that might actually promote like postpartum mental health instead. So that was really exciting. And I was really looking at questions about if participants had already had that support, obviously in the postpartum phase. And then we're also asking questions about if they had any novel sources. So during our analysis, as we'll talk about in a little bit, we could see how those would be associated with those postpartum depression measures. Yeah, so let's dig into those details a little bit then. What sorts of data did you collect, such as how are you defining support and what other different categories of support might there be? And then the outcome variables. So we are looking at the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale to um, quantify postpartum depression. And so this is a scale that has 10 questions in the questionnaire. They're all scored zero to three, and then you get a total score from like zero to 30. And we use the cutoff of 13, so 13 and above is likely associated with um, depressive symptoms and below 13 is likely not associated with depressive symptoms. And then we were also asking questions about that emotional and social support. So we were looking at, like I said earlier, partner, family, and friends, and then also the ability to reach out in times of stress for that kind of support. And we were gauging this on a Likert scale from strongly disagree to strongly agree. And later we deductively coded those so that it would be dichotomous, not deductively coded, we dichotomously coded that so the analysis would be a little bit easier. And then following those questions, we asked if they had novel sources of support. And if they did, they were able to put in a qualitative response, which was inductively coded. And I was looking to see if people were mentioning like online therapy, like online support groups, going to social media groups instead and stuff like that, which was really exciting. And then we took all of that data and we did multivariate regression analysis to see if there's any associations. So what did you what did you learn? What, what are the takeaways? Yeah, so I think unsurprising, we did find that all sources of emotional support are significantly associated with lowering depression scores compared to people who didn't have that kind of support. So those were the people who said that they didn't agree. They did have higher depression scores. This is a little shocking to me, but all the new types of support were not significantly associated with lowering depression scores. But I think a lot of that was just because the way the question was framed we were asking for new sources, but a lot of those people might have already been using online sources of support beforehand, so they weren't saying that they did find those. Um, so I think, like, obviously, access to emotional support from partners, family, friends, just having that support system there for you is really important for promoting postpartum mental health. But obviously, like, additional research with a larger sample that's more nationally representative is really important to get a deeper understanding of that, but also a deeper understanding of these novel sources of support that we are interested in looking at. I mean, you also are looking at a rare moment in time and how Definitely. people re rebound from COVID-19. I don't think it's really clear to anyone. And the idea mm -hmm. that people would rebound, you know, that we would see something, I think it, the jury's still out on like, mm -hmm. sort of how fucking depressed people are, excuse my oh, French, definitely. And, and how much support they need to, to pull up from that. Yeah, I remember when I was kind of doing some background research that before the pandemic, it was estimated, I think, just above 12% of postpartum persons had postpartum depression, but some scales found that up to 44% of postpartum persons had depression during the pandemic, which is such a massive increase, which just made this research so much more timely. So I got to say, this is just one super impressive. I mean, Chris, 
Does she not sound like a senior grad student at this point? <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, in that pause that we were just having, I was reeling on all of the things that she did in the study, the multivariate regression, coding qualitative and quantitative data. I'm like, wow. I couldn't do that as an undergrad. Hell, I don't think <laughs> I could do that now. Let's be honest. <laughs> so how did you learn all that? Like, what was your, what was the, 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 the process like for you? I didn't really start doing research with Zane until like middle of the pandemic, honestly. And so freshman year, I was kind of just dabbling with random stuff. I thought I was going to be pre-med for a while. So I was doing a bunch of that like bio work. So I was learning some stats from that. And then I started doing stats classes with sociology. And then I think the best class I took, honestly, was research methods of cultural anthropology. And that taught me a lot more of the like how to inductively, deductively code, qualitative coding, quantitative coding. And then Zane, of course, just is like, my mentor and champion, she like is always helping me. I'm always emailing her at the most random times, like, hey, how do I do this? And she's like, oh my God, okay, here you go. And then she helps me and it's really great. She is a fantastic human being and a wonderful, wonderful mentor. But also not only did you do this award-winning research, which <laughs> it is, but you also have a senior honors thesis, which is completely separate from this. Like yes. the thing that you won an award for could honestly count as a senior honors thesis for an <laughs> undergrad, but you've decided to do something entirely different looking at TikTok uh, and also just phone use and how it relates to folks in New Zealand. So tell us kind of, we, we know that Zane works in New Zealand, but mm-hmm. how did this project and this question about TikTok and phone use come about and relating it to the autonomic nervous system and heart rate variability and all those fun things? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like no surprise here. I'm a young adult and I'm focusing on young adults for my thesis. And since the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of my friends and peers have consistently been talking about how their phone use and even their TikTok use specifically is really a detriment in their lives, but it's something they can't quite break away from. And so I just specifically remember hearing from my friends, like it impacts their sleep schedule. It impacts like their perceptions of their mental health. And they just really like didn't understand why they were so hooked on it and just couldn't break away. And so I really briefly looked at this in my research methods of cultural anthropology class when I did a mini ethnography. Um, So that was all like Zoom based interviews. And so when given the chance to do my thesis, I really wanted to jump on this subject and kind of take a more human bio approach to it and apply the research skills that I've been learning. I was going to say, then, how did you settle on heart rate variability as your as your key variable? So why that and the, the focus? Maybe, yeah. Maybe also just I don't think a lot of our audience is going to be familiar with heart rate variability and how that relates to the autonomic nervous system. Mm-hmm. So, like, take us to the basic bio level of what mm-hmm. these variables mean for well being. Definitely, I have a whole like spiel planned out for this. I was like trying to remember all the details for it. Um, so the autonomic nervous system has two branches: the parasympathetic system which is regulating your rest and digest functions. But on the other hand, you have the sympathetic system, which regulates your fight or flight response. And HRV or heart rate variability is a non-invasive measure of your autonomic system selectivity. It's reflecting the beat by beat changes of your heart rate. And so that's looking at the time between each heartbeat. And like, obviously the variability part is how much that time changes. And so I have a little thing written out so I can remember everything important. HRV is actually really sensitive to stress. So lower HRV is believed to indicate lower parasympathetic activity while higher, while also indicating higher physiological stress response. And so it's a really great human biometric to understand non-invasive information about someone's physiological response to a whole range of stimuli. So it's great for a lot of different kinds of questions to approach that stress response. 
Um, it's something that I thought was really interesting and really drove me to wanting to use HRV for my study specifically, is that there are connections between physiological stress response and mental health. And so individuals that have depression and other mental health conditions typically have lower HRV compared to those who don't also have depressive symptoms. So I'm going to preface my question by saying that I'm, I'm in my 50s, but I'm not a Luddite. I do use a lot of technology and I mm-hmm. use social media a lot, but I did just join TikTok. The reason that I just joined TikTok is because I like Instagram Reels so much and my wife <laughs> is on TikTok. So I finally downloaded TikTok and I'll be honest with you, I love it. I find mm-hmm. it very, very relaxing and I'll easily lose an hour. Twitter, on the other hand, I find stressful because all of my colleagues, no offense to you all because I complain too, but when I read your complaints, it stresses me out. Why did you pick on TikTok for this as opposed to one of the other social media uh, platforms? Yeah, honestly, I picked TikTok because I'm on TikTok all the time. And I was like, well, I might as well focus on something that's interesting to me and impacts my daily life also. And it's such a unique platform, in my opinion, because like you look at Twitter where you're like mainly just reading people's thoughts. And like sometimes you have videos and pictures. That's not the like main purpose of Twitter. Like Instagram, like now they're introducing like other components to kind of compete with other social medias, but it's really photo based. But TikTok is all about like giving you short snippets of information, whether it's funny, educational, it's news related, it's your friends posting funny videos. And I was just thinking about how it's so easy, like you said, to get sucked into what a lot of my participants called a doom scroll, where you're just like on TikTok for hours and hours because the information is so short that you just keep getting pulled into watching another video and you think you can break out of that because they're short, but then yet you're stuck on it for so much longer than you expect to be stuck on it. So tell me then what uh, I I, I obsessively watch Noodle ramen videos, how to make different (laughs) ramens. So what is this doing to me? Is it melting my brain? What did you find? I think you're going to be kind of shocked by this because personally, I was really shocked when I was doing my stats at the end. But overall phone use, so I was looking at just two weeks before, is associated with lowering baseline HRV. So this would be meaning that it's lowering your physiological stress response or you're having more of a stress response when you use your phone for longer periods of time. But shockingly, Viewing TikTok actually increases your HRV in the moment, which means it relaxes you as you watch the videos. I, I know, I, I was personally shocked. I really went into the study expecting that it would stress participants out because there's like so many random videos getting shown to you. You could see a dog video and then a world news video and then go back to a funny video. And so I thought that like kind of rapid change would be stressful. But overall, it's a really relaxing experience for some viewers. I so wonder... relaxing, but then overall does lead to depression. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Short-term satisfaction and long-term harm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we get we get sucked into these things to give us a moment of peace, but then we feel mm-hmm. guilty because we take mm-hmm. seventeen thousand moments of peace. I wonder if you took away, like, if you just gave them a TikTok account. And they didn't. They hadn't already sort of set their preferences and didn't have a feed coming from their followers. If what the results would be, right? So, like I said, mm-hmm. ramen ones, and I get those and, yeah. and husky videos because that's what I like and that's what I watch, mm-hmm. right? So I've curated it to feed me exactly what I want to make me mm-hmm. happy. Well, you you'll be it- interested to find out that I actually did do that. 
I know. Crazy. So we had um, participants were first starting off with watching their own like curated for you page, which the algorithm feeds you the content you like based off of how much you interact with it, comment on it, like it, share it with others. And then for half the participants, I had them do a second viewing session with a brand new account that wasn't curated towards anything. And yet they were still being relaxed by the videos they were seeing, even though it wasn't videos that was specifically meant for them yet. So this it's is fast. Just like the mindless scrolling yeah. does have, no matter what you're scrolling, mm-hmm. well, a relaxing effect. So I have a study uh, on fireside relaxation, and we 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 thought that fires might be like media, like we might have a predisposition mm-hmm. for uh, relaxation to media, or, or and and be compelled to watch it because of our predispositions around fires. And we found mm-hmm. a similar effect that people are relaxed in an experimental setting even when they're watching a video about like jobs and anthropology or something, mm-hmm. which we know there aren't a lot of, so they must be <laughs> right. So it's not compelling video. So how I did you actually... even get a jobs of anthropology video? Oh, every department has a bunch of those. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Where are you getting this film? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the stuff that we show at the beginning of class that everybody goes. <sighs> yeah. Right. I would never show this mm-hmm. in class, but apparently it might relax my students. If I have a fire, in the classroom, <laughs> which also doesn't sound stress relieving at the moment, given mm-hmm. there's no fireplace. Um, so you already have like this amazing body of work, and you don't even have your undergraduate degree yet. So we're going to ask you anyway. What are your future plans? Are you hoping to go into graduate school for anthropology? I definitely am. I was planning on applying this fall to go straight through, and then. After some reflection, I was like, no, I I think I need a little break from school. Obviously, like most of my undergrad experience has been virtual because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And that's really exhausting in its own kind of way. And when I go to grad school, I want to hit the ground running and be rejuvenated. So I'm doing my gap year. Don't know what I'm doing during my gap year, but I'm definitely looking forward to applying to grad school in the near future. I was going to say, I hope you're going to publish that stuff because it sounds like you've mm-hmm. got publishable results. It'll, it it sounds fascinating and it'll set you up nicely to get mm-hmm. into pretty much any grad school you want to go to. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to writing up both the social support and my thesis research into article formats. And hopefully they do get published. I think that'd be really exciting. I think no, you should do agree. TikTok videos pre-digesting uh, here. I so. should. There's like I a mean, whole genre of TikTok accounts that are like just anthropology based and they're like grad Tina students Lassisi. who talk about their research. Yes. Yeah, Tina Lasisi is amazing. Absolutely love her TikToks. Um, but you will totally be a rising star in anthropology. I'm, I'm pretty sure we can say that now that the Sausage of Science has called it. <laughs> Thank you. I hope so. <laughs> so when you aren't doing all these amazing things, what sorts of fun things do you do? What are you reading, watching, listening to, hobbies, all that good stuff? Definitely. I feel like I try to be a full student, you know, have the full student experience. Um, It's not going to sound like fun. I promise this is fun. I work at the art museum on campus and I've been doing that for about like two and a half years now. And we've been like moving all of our like galleries into online like 3D formats. And that's like my main project with them, which is so much fun to kind of like use a techie part that's not like school based. But I recently got a car on campus because if you've ever been to Dartmouth, you know, it's an actual bubble and there's like not much to do besides hiking. And so I go and explore all the diners in the Upper Valley with my friends and we get like massive plates of pancakes and hash browns. And it's just really nice to explore. We have peak foliage right now. 
So all the trees are changing to like oranges and reds. And it's so nice to like drive through that and get to explore like new parts. Having been up there, what, a year and a half ago, I can I can attest it's a beautiful area of the country. Terrible internet service, so oh, my yeah. kids were complaining the whole time. But, <laughs> but yeah, I can imagine that. Um, what was I going to say? Um, this, I mean, you're so articulate too. This has been a great interview. I'm oh, really, thank really you. enjoying listening to your plans and, and thinking, wow, I hope you consider one of our grad programs for that next step when you, when yes. you get there. Um, but no, this is, this is really cool stuff. Um, and well, oh, I know what I was going to say. Everybody always says this doesn't sound boring when they tell us their hobbies, but then they give us hobbies and pastimes that Kara and I both, we're all nerds here. So we both geek mm -hmm. out on, so you are in the right place. Oh, yay. Perfect. Working <laughs> at an art museum, doing stuff like that sounds totally fun to us. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, I know you, you know, uh, when we interview faculty, they have websites and, and, and stuff like that and are recruiting students here in a different place. So, so if you want to be contacted, yes. is there a way that people can find out more about your research and what you're up to? And, and what does that mean? If Definitely. I have many social media accounts, which I'm always on. No shock there. I do post about some of my research on this, not TikTok, an Instagram account. Um, the at is Ale, A-L-E, goes global. I made it when I went on the Dartmouth Anthropology um, foreign study trip. So that's really fun. And I actually have a website for my social support research linked in that bio. And I'm always logged into that account. So if you want to get in contact, just hit me up. Awesome. What about you, Kara? Are you on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and so, Facebook? Snapchat, no. Facebook, yes. Twitter, yes. Technically, yes to Insta and TikTok, but I, I don't really use. I, I lurk. I don't interact. Oh, do you? I, I, usually, I never see a response. Was it yeah, no, 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 no. Because, like, I might lurk. I kind of forget TikTok exists for the most part, but I lurk on Insta every now and again. I've got a friend who's a photographer, and so I just go to follow his photography. Anyway, you would... can find me. Yes. You can find me on Twitter at Kara Akabak. Nice and easy. How about you, Chris? I am also on Twitter at Chris underscore LY. I am also on Instagram. Um, I never tell you, you people out there how to find me there, but it's Cheech Sweet. Uh, and don't ask me what that comes from. Um, I'm on Facebook. I think I have a Snapchat account, but I don't remember because I just would lurk and follow my kids. It's always about TikTok, TikTok as of last week, but I, it's probably cheat sweet. I don't know. I just <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, we're on all of these things. So I don't know how you find. I yeah, know, yeah. I'm, I'm like, I don't know my handles. I'm like trying so hard to remember them. I'm like, it's some variation of my name, I assume. Yeah. It's hard enough to remember the passwords. I'm not going to try to remember the handles at this point. No, I, I know Twitter because I write it down on our our plan for our podcast every single time so I can read them. I actually know carrots too. I don't even know my others, but I know Karen. Just my name. My Twitter is the easiest yeah, it's, Twitter. It's, it's easy. <laughs> anyway, Ale, you are incredibly impressive. And this was a delightful interview. Delight. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. We are expecting big things from you. Thank you so much for having me. This was amazing.